Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the 24 Faithful podcast. I am Bradley Adams, and I am joined today by Joel Wood. And Joel, look, this day has been coming for a long time. Um, regular yes, listeners yes. of the podcast will know that you are self-dubbed president of the self-created Bring Back Tony Almeida fan club. And it he worked. Came back in Legacy. He came back in Legacy, and the reason that you had this scenario dreamt up was because of the treatment of Tony Almeida in Season 7. And this week's episode of the podcast, we are talking about episodes 13 through 18, which is 8 p.m. till 2 a.m., and it is in this section of episodes that <clears throat> Tony has his twist. Um, and I know that you're very excited to talk about this. Excited is not the word that I will use for that, Bradley. <laughs> okay. I have, I have dreaded this day for months since we started uh, doing these podcasts again. I knew that this day was coming. And I've been dreading this day for months. However, I've also had prepared what i was going to say for months okay well that's that's good to know at least um so this is that is sort of the 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 preface to this podcast that this is where it is going to end up but we do have some other things to talk about first and, and some more positive things hopefully although we're going to start with what is in the context of the series not a positive thing even though it's quite well handled and that is bill's death which look no one no one will enjoy because Bill is wonderful and James Morrison is terrific and he and the the character that they've built with Bill through three and a half seasons is is really wonderful but his demise it works I think um it's just very sad it adds another layer on to my disappointment with the uh the twist because Bill died thinking that Tony was on his side. And that makes it even worse for me. Surely it should make it better that Bill died having this much better image of Tony. I don't take solace in the fact that he, that he died being duped. <laughs> I don't take solace in that, Bradley. Okay. <laughs> That does that does not give me comfort. <laughs> All right. I think that overall the death was handled uh <clears throat> in true Bill fashion. Because as soon as you heard Jack talk about the way out, you know, the 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 explosives in the secret room that nobody can get out of. Um, as soon as you heard Jack start laying out his plan, you kind of figured out, even if you're watching this season for the first time, you could kind of figure out that, yes, yeah, somebody's going to take that leap, but it's not going to be Jack. And you kind of got the sense that in that particular scene, there were only two people that could take that leap, Jack and Bill. So if you kind of got the hint that it wasn't going to be Jack, 
you had to get a sick feeling in the pit of your stomach that it was going to be built because it was a logical, it was a logical play. It would have took out most of his men of Juma's men. It would have allowed them a, a plan to escape. Um, it was a very well laid plan, albeit a stupid one. Um, because it's basically a suicide mission. So, from that aspect, it was a great plan. But you knew that Bill was going to, because let's face it, Bill's not a field agent. So when it comes to taking down this conspiracy and everything like that, Bill was right. Jack is the only one that can stop it. So from that aspect, it worked. The conversation they had beforehand, it worked. It was, it was kind of a, a finality type of conversation. Um, Jack, to me, you know, picking holes in it probably should have just went for it instead of explaining it to him because <laughs> because you had to Jack being Jack had to know that they were going to do everything they could not to let him do that. And then it was kind of nice when Bill was explaining it to him and saying that Jack, you're the only one that can stop this conspiracy. And Jack, he was telling Jack, don't, you know, don't let them do it. Don't, you know, things like that. And you can see the look on Jack's face. Like, why are you telling me don't, why are you telling me this? So Jack is starting to get the realization that Bill is about to do something stupid. So that's why when Bill takes off running, you can see Jack try to grab his shirt. But, you know, obviously he doesn't do it. Um, Jack realized during those last few comments that Bill is about to do something stupid. But by the time he realized it, it was pretty much too late. Um, so I thought I thought the death was handled well. I thought the scene was handled well. Jack's reaction after the, the firefight was over. And the realization started to set in that Bill was dead. And you saw him slump down in the in the doorway. You know, the the reaction of, of Jack was was perfect because it's it's just another person close to Jack that ends up dead. And you know, Jack's gotta be thinking like what what more do I have to do at this point? And that's partly the you mentioned the grab there that I, I do really admire as well. That's partly what fuels it, isn't it? That Jack makes this is, is going to make this sacrifice, and okay, someone saves his life, but <clears> it's another person on it's it's, a, it's another person that's dead because of him. As you said, if he doesn't tell Bill or Aaron or whoever, then he can just do the plan and he sacrifices himself. He saves the president. That was the idea all along. And having done this, now Bill is his death is kind of on him essentially um so yeah i i love that aspect too I, I love the fact that for bill this is kind of a little mini circle that ends because in the episode before uh jack had mentioned about he needs to go and interrogate ryan burnett because he's the only one that can do it jack's been locked up and bill says no i can't do it I, i'm not trained for that this is not my kind of thing and then 10 minutes later larry calls and says that the white house is about to be attacked and, and in those 10 minutes you almost kind of feel like bill 
is indirectly responsible for it because you think, well, if Bill was able to do what Jack can, then maybe they stop the attack. Maybe they get the president out of there and and everything's okay. But ultimately he couldn't. And this is the chance for him to redeem himself in a way. And and he takes it. And it's, it's very much in keeping with Bill. Um, You know, when we, we first met Bill in season four, there was a lot of tension around things with Tony and with Michelle and, and, you know, he, he very much came in as a bureaucrat, but he was likable in a way that Chappelle and Mason and uh, Brad Hammond and obviously Alberta Green were not. But as we've we've seen him develop, and, and this is very much in keeping with his character, this is very much the bill of the end of season six, stealing the helicopter for Jack and flying it out to the oil platform to save to save Josh. Um, is this the saddest death for you in 24? Certainly the ones of what, of what we've seen so far from 80% of the series. Uh, of the deaths that turned out to stick, yes. Of, of the deaths that were actually deaths, yes. The, the, ones, that, the ones that stuck, yes. I mean, the, obviously the, the alleged death of Tony in season five hit me a little bit harder. Um, but they, they undid that in seven. So of the ones that actually stuck... Um, it's only Edgar that I can think of that this would be up there. Yeah, but I didn't really, even though he was around for two seasons, I really didn't have enough time to get invested enough to, because he wasn't featured enough for me to have that kind of investment. Um, I mean, I liked the character, but I didn't like him enough where if he, if he died, it was going to be a tremendous loss for me. Um, Bill in season seven and probably, uh, I'll say maybe, maybe Michelle, maybe Michelle and Palmer at the beginning of season five, especially, especially, especially Michelle. Um, because I mean, Palmer, Palmer's run as president had already been over. And he had already done his non-presidential duties of helping Logan through a crisis in season four. So they were kind of running out of things for an ex-president to do. Um, so you kind of probably expected that he was expendable. Um, but Michelle, you know, I kind of I kind of thought they could have probably done more with her character. Um you know, she would she could have still been useful even if she wasn't with CTU um in a way that I don't think uh David Palmer could have. So Michelle's death probably hit me a little bit harder than 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 Palmer's. Yeah, the only thing with that is that the those two deaths kind of are shocking more than they are sad, I feel <laughs> for me. In that you know, that that fifteen minutes we talked about it endlessly, that it it's just a absolute punch 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 at you that whole episode is whereas this okay you know bill at bill's actual death moment kind of gets caught up in the firefight and taking down humor in the secret service rating but you have that moment just after with jack and next to bill's body and that's where it kind of it really impacts whereas with michelle and david palmer you don't have that so that's my that would be my only caveat with that i think i think what made michelle's death the hardest for me was not necessarily the actual 
the actual death, like when the car bomb exploded, it it really hit the hardest later on in the season when Tony um, got loose in, in medical and he started, you know, they were lying to him and he was looking up her medical records. And then the photos started coming in when it revealed that she was, you know, deceased. And then Tony's reaction to it, I think that's probably combining that with her actual death is probably what made it what made it the hardest. Yeah, and, and for, for a similar sort of reason, I'd throw Mason in there because <laughs> the the whole stuff with him leaving CTU and him with his son and uh, the stuff in a, the plane is very emotional. A, but he was a douchebag. <laughs> but I think we are in agreement that Bill is is very much up there. If not, Bill, the, Bill, Bill is still Bill is still number one. Yeah. Uh, he's still number one. Yeah. So from this, you know, Bill explains to Jack that General Juma was talking on the phone to somebody that somebody we know is Jonas Hodges. And within a scene, essentially, of Juma being killed, um, he is very, very quickly painted as the villain of the rest of the season rather than just that uh, mysterious financial figure in the background, which Redemption kind of painted him as. And he's looking to acquire a bioweapon that's coming into the country. And Jack has to go down to the dock and him alongside Tony have to try and retrieve it or essentially just stop Starkwood, which is Jones Hodges' <clears throat> company, of course, from acquiring it. Um, and once again, we end up in this scenario where Jack has to put a civilian into harm's way and expect them to behave exactly as they were going to before they were told of the true circumstance of the act that they're about to do. And it doesn't go well. Well, this scene with with the the White House, I think this is where we really get a sense of what Jonas Hodges' overall plan is. From the moment that he kind of outed uh, Olivia Taylor inside the White House to the moment after the White House had been raided, I think this is where you kind of you know, Starkwood and kind of get this idea of what Jonas Hodges overall plan is. <clears throat> and it's really, it's really quite, cause I, I, I like Jonas Hodges. I, an actor's name escapes me at the moment. John Voight. John Voight. That I knew, I knew it was John something. Um, John Voight. I like him in every, everything that he's in. <laughs> um, he's another guy that, you know, I've mentioned uh, several times on this podcast, certain guys that just can't play anything other than the villain. Now, you can't, you just, it wouldn't feel right putting John Voight in anything where he's not, you know, playing this evil character. There is also, I feel like, a sense that John Voight is having more fun playing Jonas Hodges than any other actor has had playing any other character at any point in the show. He just, like, like this doesn't... I, I don't know if it is sort of exclusively John Boyd. I haven't seen him in much, or whether it's just his role or whatever the circumstance, but it feels like he's he's doing this and that it's not actually really acting work. It's not work. It's just I'm coming here and I'm delivering these mental sort of comedy lines. The You know, they're, they're eight-year-old or the six-year-old and they need to eat their carrots or one of my favorites, um, 
just after Juma calls for the first time, let's play some darts. Like, it, it's completely he, mad. So often it, it's completely mad, but it's so wonderful. The, the, char- the character of Jonas Hodges and the personalities and the, the wittiness and the quick wit and the comments and, and the, the snarkiness of the character is John Voigt. Like he he has those traits and personalities and uh, wittiness and snarky comments in just about every role that he plays. So I think that you know the, the character the character traits of Jonas Hodges is just John Voight with the with the dial turned up a bit. That's what makes the character what makes the character great because yes he's this evil character but. His his acting and his actions and his his wittiness makes you like him a little bit. And I thought that he's another character that I thought could have had some legs that could have you know been a villain for like an entire season instead of like just one one little plot. I mean, there's a couple of seasons that. You know, I would have replaced villains with Jonas Hodges in a heartbeat. Season six, to be precise. But <laughs> <laughs> but he could he he's the type of villain that I thought, especially the way he went out. I thought that they could probably used him a little bit better or used him a little bit more. Um, he's the kind of villain that I would have liked to have seen throughout an entire season. Or, you know, the surroundings and the actions and the effects of season eight would have been perfect for a guy like Jonas Hodges. Yeah, and and on that, I mean, when you look at season seven, you can look at many other seasons, and and, and this is the case sometimes. But season seven, I feel, more than any other season is, I was going to say suffers. I don't think suffers is the right word, but experiences, I guess, is is, is the way of putting it a shift between villains, I think more frequently than other seasons in that we have, you know, we start the season with Tony and, and Emerson's group and it quickly becomes Dubaku and Nichols. And then there's a bit where it's general Juma and then it's Hodges for what, six episodes. And then it's Tony again and it's, it's Cara and it's Alan Wilson's group. And it goes through so many changes that, you are right that Alan Wilson, I mean, he was in Redemption. Uh, sorry, not Alan Wilson, Janice Hodges. Janice Hodges was in Redemption, and he was kind of the main threat domestically, wasn't he? That we had this whole plot with Rod Taylor and Nichols, and, and Hodges was the guy. He was the guy. He was the guy at the inauguration at the end talking to Vossler and he was kind of okay this is the guy this is the one who is going to pose the threat this is the one who is potentially going to be involved in roger taylor's murder and will cause havoc to president taylor's administration and it takes 12 episodes for him to come in and when he does he has this bio weapon but it's only around for sort of four episodes and okay it has a big impact in jack but it never gets used anywhere it's never actually deployed and he he very quickly goes from being this sort of up and coming villain 
within the the narrative for us to being arrested. It's what five hours from him talking about the bioweapon openly to him being arrested at the White House. It's it's three hours between them getting the bioweapon. Not even three hours, in fact, between them getting the bioweapon and him being arrested. So it feels like he's ushered, ushered in and ushered out very very quickly. And and like two like maybe what was it like two hours later he's dead. Yeah, and he and he's after killed he's very quickly after he's arrested. Yeah, so <clears throat> it, it's a strange one because he is so much fun, and I don't think I'd agree with your sentiment of liking him because he is just horrible in every way. But I I can I I do see what your 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 point is of you know he's he as a villain he's enjoyable. And I do think that they could have got a lot more out of him. Um, I think I'm going to pose you this question. Is he the most deranged villain the show's had? Most deranged? Yeah. As in, you know, um, you, you look at, say, say, Victor Drazen, you know, he was an absolute sociopath, but he had a very clear focus and it was all about revenge on Jack Bauer and David Palmer. And there, there was a, there was a logic to it. There was a um, sort of a, a straightness to it of right this is what i want this is why i want it it's a very clear motive it's a very clear action whereas with jonas hodges you know his his whole thing is i wanting starkwood to be more involved with the military and the us government and having all this power but then thinking but but then becoming a terrorist to do it and thinking that that's the right way to go about it it's i mean his his logic at times is insane i feel and I don't think any other villain has had such a warped logic in their plans. Uh, I'd put Stephen Saunders up there. No, um, but, but, but he's, he's revenging. He, he wants revenge against the people who wronged him. And, you know, Jonas Hodges wants to protect this country by attacking it. Well, isn't that isn't that the same ideology that Charles Logan had? Uh, to to an extent, he didn't want the he didn't want the nerve gas to be deployed. Remember? Yes, he just wanted the he just wanted the threat of it to. Um, remember him and Walt Cummings have this conversation about yeah they, yeah they wanted they wanted they want they wanted to use the nerve gas to kill the Russians. The Russian separatists yes. and and essentially possibly provoke Russia, but by doing that, securing American interests and and I fair enough. I I think that's a fair shout, but I don't think it's quite as crazy as Jonas Hodges' plan. Yeah, I mean, Jonas Hodges is. I'll say I'll say a little bit more on the radical side um like in the in the in the real world he would be called something of an extremist yep um so i do i do see how he's a he's a little bit more delusional um than some of the other villains um so in that in that respect i would probably say he's probably the most arranged um, Charles Logan probably come in a close second, but uh, yeah, I, I, I can I can put Jonas Hodges up there, which is why they should have had him for a whole season. Like bringing bringing Alan Wilson in for like an episode and a half, 
at the end to be the main villain is I just I just felt like it was a waste of Jonas Hodges' talents. Oh, don't worry. We'll definitely talk about Alan Wilson next week because I have thoughts. Um, but yeah, no, I, I do agree with Jonas Hodges. And while we're on it, I mean, the bioweapon. I spoke <clears throat> about this sort of topic back at the start of the season that the CIP device was a really interesting threat because it's different. Season six, part of the issue was that it's a nuclear bomb. Again, it's nuclear material. Again, it's whatever. And the CIP device created a different threat. It created something different that would would cause a problem rather than just, oh, there's a nuclear bomb, oh, there's whatever, whatever terrorist attack. Nuclear bombs are obviously the most common thing. And, of course, Season 8 will introduce this as well. Um, and with the bioweapon, it was kind of like, well, we're doing the virus, we're doing the nerve gas again. It's a little bit of a combination of both, but it's a little bit different, and you can kind of go you can kind of see it and setting up instantly with the, the infection of Jack and the way that that will then play into things. And that'll be something we talk about next week as well, that it, it, it doesn't feel like the virus. It doesn't feel like the nerve gas. It, uh, it, it feels very different. And that I, I like that. And then what happens is instead of just kind of dispersing it, Hodges and Stark would load it onto missiles and use it to threaten the president against uh, launching action against Starkwood and destroying the bioweapon. And then he uses those missiles to then leverage his way into the White House and try and get his his in- incredible uh, proposal signed off by the president and blackmail her, essentially. And I just feel like of all the threats, you know, I think about Bierko taking over the sub at the end of season five and... You kind of for, do you forget? I feel like you forget a little bit that the missiles are there. You know, it, 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 in a way, it, it's like well, they're, they're there. <clears throat> they don't really feel like the damaging threat in the same way that the nerve gas did. But okay, you kind of go with it. Season five is such a great ride, and and, and Bierko's plan, you, you just go with it. I don't think the missiles are particularly interesting as weapons in that scenario it's very much just the assault on the on the submarine that's fun and so by turning the bioweapon into missiles that they never get launched they get destroyed very quickly after by tony and they're only used as they use as a bargaining chip and it just kind of feels like a waste of the bioweapon you know this is a this is a fun threat this is a really horrible threat but it becomes just, oh, we'll launch the missiles. Even from the beginning of the season, I never found the CIP device to be a logical threat, mainly because it was never really portrayed as one. I mean, the only thing that really happened was um, Debaku had those two planes collide in midair. <laughs> but you didn't really feel... <clears throat> You didn't really feel shock um, when that happened, or you didn't feel like anything else was in danger. Um, at least I did it. Um, it just felt like, okay, so kill you killed some people on an airplane. It's but you didn't feel you you didn't feel like there was a threat to American soil. Um, I don't agree with that. I don't think I agree with that. 
I will. I never considered the only time I really considered the CIP device to be a threat was right before Jack, Tony, Bill, and Renee um, invaded his compound when he was talking about the the next attack with the CIP device before before they got to the compound before they even found out where he was at. That's the only time that if I was watching the season for the first time, of course, rewatching it, I knew that he was going to get, you know, um, taken care of. But watching the season for the first time, that would be the only time that I would think that the CIP device could logically be used um, to cause any kind of serious attack. Because I never felt like the two planes colliding in, in midair while it, it was done to get it over as a threat to President Taylor, I never thought that it would lead to really anything else. And the bioweapon? Bioweapon. The bioweapon bio was a different story. Even before Tony destroyed it, because, you know, by this point in the rewatch, I was already preparing myself <laughs> for <laughs> and, and, to, to be, and, and to be fair tony destroying it is actually quite a fun sequence i do feel like there's a lot of tension to him sort of getting in getting out without getting discovered without being stopped um i do think that that does exist which was which was nice and it was it was, it was kind of you know tony was right he did stop the bioweapon from being launched he did save millions of lives so I will give I will give him that, but the bioweapon I never. It's another situation I think you were talking about. Which season was it with a bomb that you never felt like was a threat? The it, it's the one when Jack disarms the bomb in season six, yeah. and and ultimately all of the suitcase nukes after the explosion in Valencia. Yeah, it's it's it was to me that was another situation where I knew the bioweapon was there. I knew that Hodges was going to or wanted to deploy it. But even watching the season for the first time, you never got the sense that it was going to be deployed. Um, because I, you kind of knew that at some point, either Jack or Tony uh, would get there in time. Um, even if you're just watching for the first time and you don't know that Tony's eventually going to turn into a douchebag. It wasn't that edge of your seat thing like when the like when the nerve gas got dispersed. Or even going back further than that, when the um what was it that got dispersed in the virus in the hotel. Yeah. Even even that, the virus in the hotel, the bioweapon was never the edge of your seat kind of will they stop it in time or won't they stop it in time that those kind of threats had. Um, not saying that it wasn't a good scene because it it was a good it was a good sequence. I just never, I never felt like there was any danger there. And I think part of this is actually the way that Hodges positions it to the board and to everyone that there's that line, isn't it? That are we prepared to defend ourselves? Yes, we are. And that's the thing, isn't it? That the bioweapon is there as a defensive strategy. It's there to protect Starkwood should the government come and, and they obviously are because Jonas Hodges has got a, a deadly ma- weapon of mass destruction but it's always it, it, it's the defensive ploy it's not Hodges wants to attack the country 
because of whatever. It's well, if you don't give me what I want, I'll attack the country. And, and there's a there's a there's a subtle difference to that in that you know I, Abu Fayed. Again, I talk about the bombs, but at least the first one goes off. At least you you know he wants to go and use them. It just doesn't happen for him. And the nerve gas and the virus and all of these things. These people want these things to happen, and and that's their mission. Whereas Jonas Hodges isn't necessarily out to kill loads of people. It's just, well, if you don't do what I want, I'll do this. Yeah, and that's that's another reason why I like the Jonas Hodges character. Because he does consider himself, I guess you could say he considers himself a patriot in the, the warped sense of the word. Um, you're shaking your head, but you got to admit every, that he does. Every 24 character who has ever said that they're a patriot is the exact opposite of a patriot. Well, that, that may be true. But in, in, in the warped sense of the word, he does consider himself a patriot. Um, and, you know, believe it or not, there are people with that twisted sense of ideology out there. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's something that, you know, people, especially in America, when they see stuff like that, they can identify with, um, whether they've actually seen it happen or whether they know somebody that's like that or, you know, what whatever the case may be. And I thought that that's really what added to his uh, twisted personality and his being deranged and him being one of the more sinister villains in 24 history because he truly believes what he's doing at the end of the day is best for the country, not for himself, but for the country. And that I think is what makes him as sinister of a villain as he is. Now, someone who is very much doing things for themselves and not for the good of the country is Olivia <clears throat> Taylor. Um, um, yeah. With, with Olivia, sort of what, one, thing, one quote comes to mind from Tony in season four, and it's, it's just after Aaron Driscoll leaves and how he says to Curtis, I don't need to establish position. I've already got it. And I feel like that's very appropriate when it comes to Olivia because she ha- ends up in this position completely by coincidence. Her father was shot. She was then uh, part of the group under siege at the White House. And President Taylor, her mother, decides that she doesn't want to let her be far away again, doesn't want to be distant. She was kicked off the campaign for um, digging up dirt on Noah Daniels. And she was fired for all the controversy that might draw. <laughs> and she comes in here and she's appointed acting chief of staff after essentially forcing Ethan out, although Ethan does kind of dig his own grave with the Jack and Ryan Burnett stuff and Senator Mayor ends up dead, of course. But it very much feels like she, you know, she gets into this acting chief of staff role. She gets essentially what she wanted. And then she just keeps on gnawing away and trying to do, I don't know what she's, she's the, she's the daughter of the most powerful person in the world. You know, she doesn't need the power grab anyway, but then she's chief of staff to that same person now. And you think, really, really, really you doing this? She's very, 
good at what she does. And by saying and by and, and by saying good at what she does, I mean being manipulative. She knows what the right thing is and what to say and when to say it. Um, you could tell even even in in the first scene that she was ever in when she's sitting down and talking to a potential client and trying to, I guess, uh, sell herself to him. You know, she's saying what needs to be said and she knows what to say and when to say it, how to say it. Um, the problem with that is, is that she got in a little bit over her head. She, she started to, like number number one, the the P the PR hit that President Taylor would have took the next day once this whole thing was over, um, would have been extraordinary. Um, she she would have took an enormous political hit by making Olivia her chief of staff after everything that you know she supposedly did during the campaign. That aside, from the moment Olivia Taylor got to the White House after the raid on the White House was over with. <clears throat> it just felt like every scene she was in, she made herself more unlikable than the scene previous to it. <laughs> and it was, no matter what it was, she just automatically dug herself a deeper hole every time she opened her mouth. And... <clears throat> It's like once she became the acting chief of staff, she thought that, you know, I got, I got what I wanted now. I got, you know, I'm one of the, I'm the daughter of the most powerful person in the country. And as chief of staff, I'm one of the most powerful people in the country. And I think she thought that because of that, I'm untouchable. You know, nobody can, nobody can do anything to me. Which is, it's mad because she comes in and within a minute of Ethan being back and hearing him, you know, she's instantly after him. She's instantly trying to force him into, you know, pressure him. Um, what's that line she uses? It's an unconscionable failure on his part. Um, and then says that she's going to find out exactly who failed her mother and make sure that person is never in a position to do it again. And you just think... Like because when, when, she knows she knows that Ethan is the only person in President Taylor's inner circle that is a threat to her. And rightly so because every, you know he everybody like else her. is everybody else is just like, okay, let her in, do whatever. But Ethan knows what she's capable of. So she knows that as long as Ethan is there, she is not going to have full autonomy. Because Ethan is always going to be there to undermine her. And rightly so, because, I mean, she, as she'll prove over the next several hours, and we'll talk about her big crime in next week's episode, but, you know, she she forces him out. And ultimately, Ethan is right to resign. But she forces him out, and then having having exposed his involvement to the reporter, to Ken, and then decides to tell him about the operation they're doing at Starkwood and then has to blackmail him in that, which uh, this is the only time I actually like Olivia is when it's revealed that she's blackmailed him. That's quite fun, but it's all of, you know, 
she has that thing. She says that line about how, you know, you understand that thousands of lives are at risk. This is why you can't run with this. And you just think, well, why did you tell him? Why did you not just lie to him? Why did you not just tell him a half truth or something rather than telling the whole thing and then having to actually blackmail him into, I mean, I mean, it worked. I, I imagine it probably was her plan anyway, because she knew that he wouldn't drop things and, and this is, gets her out of things in the future. It's quite a clever plan. And she is a very, very clearly, clearly she is a very smart person, but she just, yeah, she's not likable at all. That's an understatement. <laughs> I think she was just too smart for her own good. That's what I think. I think that's a fair comment. That's it for the White House angle. Um, I think there's one more thing we need to talk about. Joel Joel yeah. looks distraught already. There, um, there is there is one more thing, yes. <laughs> so the thing, I'll tell you what, before we do, what, quickly, would you agree, having rewatched it, that the first, the, the final episode that we're talking about here, 1 till 2 a.m., the first maybe 40 minutes, and, and when I say 40 minutes, I'm including... I, I'm talking about in in episode time, so sort of one forty five a.m. Um, feel very much like a season finale. Yes. You have to, you you have Tony destroying the missiles. It's the end of the threat, and you've got Jack and Kim, and Jack's clearly dying, and that's that's clearly coming to an end. Jack is asking for Tony to be uh, pardoned or treated better or whatever. Um, you know, Olivia, this is actually, I think this is the episode where Olivia has the blackmail or she's just, just passed it. Hodges is arrested. There's that whole thing of, I'm a small cog in a very big machine. It's all that, like that, that side of it is, yeah, this, this is next season's thing. This is, yeah, this is, this is coming down the line. Don't you worry. And there's a finality to it. And then Galvez has the bioweapon and suddenly it's not a finality. But I, 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 I was surprised actually by how much that first, half three quarters of this episode feels like the end which it was <laughs> well yes <laughs> well, wish it yes. was the end in a, in a way i am <laughs> with you um so let's just let's just dive into it um the scene that we we've been dreading um we get to the end of this episode galvez has the bioweapon from starkwood he's gone rogue he's escaped and larry and tony chase after him in the helicopter and uh galvez gets the drop on them larry gets shot and then just as it looked like galvez is about to shoot tony tony tells him to stand down and kills larry instead revealing himself to be working outside of the law as a terrorist um the the only thing i'll say before i let you have at it because we know you have things to say is that the scene itself at best is fine because the whole thing sets up where like there's two outcomes either both of them get killed and quite frankly the show's never going to have larry who's become a fairly significant character or tony who obviously is one of the significant characters they're never going to have both of them killed by some nobody we've met five minutes before so that leaves the only possibility being that Tony is a bad guy. And we've already, you know, we're conditioned to think that this is potentially the case. He started the season as a bad guy. He, you know, did whatever to um, uh, 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 the, the, the I can't think of the, can't think of the guy who he interrogated for the White House attack. Or supposedly yeah. interrogated. No. Um, oh, his name escapes me. Anyway, the, 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 the contact from Emerson's group. You know, 
we know that he's capable of bad things, but there's a lot of a, a lot of focus put into us not believing it, and but it's the only reasonable outcome of that scene. So I'm not I'm not even keen on the scene itself. Um, go on, go on. You 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 go and your anti Tony is a bad guy agenda. This twist is at the top of the list. I'm talking about number one. Nina is a distant, very distant number two. But this is number one by about eight miles of the most unnecessary, ridiculous twist for the sake of a twist that I've seen. Now, I'm going to try to reserve some of my comments because some of these comments are in relations to, you know, what happens next week um, as far as the end result of this twist. <sighs> but I thought it wasn't needed. And the reason I thought it wasn't needed is because it's Tony freaking Almeida. Okay? From season one, Tony has been portrayed even more than Jack as somebody who is a law-abiding citizen. He always does what is right. Even, even when Michelle left him in season four, he still risked his life as a non-government employee to help Jack. And I understand that you know his wife was killed. Well, so was Terry. And Jack is not trying to launch a biological attack. So the way the season should have shook out, Jack and I mean, we had a, we had enough villains throughout the season. We had like eight of them. Okay, so there was enough villains for Jack and Tony to team up to take down. It's not like they had, you know, they were short on villains, so they had to just shoehorn Tony in there. We had like a we had like a different main villain like every four or five episodes. So <clears throat> there was plenty of villains for Jack and Tony to team up to take down. Especially when you get to the fact that the end villain, the the person behind it all, was the person that Tony was really trying to get to. <laughs> and the ideology that he has and the the conversation that he has with Jack that we'll talk about more in depth next week. Um, I understood it. You know, Tony did save lives. Tony did, was working on the right side of the law for a majority of the season. Um, but to kill Larry Moss... And to try to use that biological weapon to kind of lure Alan Wilson out of hiding, I thought it was very unnecessary. Because if anything, this Centaurus nerve gas conspiracy that has been going on for three seasons now has affected Jack just as much as it affected Tony. Even though Tony lost his wife, you know, Jack was just as close to David Palmer as anybody. 
Um, and the fact that Alan Wilson was the one that ordered that hit on David Palmer. That is something that Jack would want revenge for. So from the very beginning, Tony should have been upfront with Jack, why he was doing what he was doing, what his end game was. And then Jack and Tony could have teamed up to, along with Chloe and Bill before he killed himself, to take down Alan Wilson. That could have been the that could have been the end game, not Juma or Debaku or this this Jonas Hodges or this wide ranging conspiracy. You know that could have been those could have been part of it, but I don't know when he was when the character Alan Wilson was actually cast. I don't know if it was cast before the season, during the season, as they were filming the season. I'm not sure. Can't remember. But. If he was cast before the season and they had this idea before the season that Alan Wilson was the end game, then they could have set it up from episode one, Jack and Tony putting an end to this conspiracy. And it would have been much better than having the typical and true 24 fashion of a character twist where you think they're good but they're not really good and that would have been fine if it would have been somebody like I don't know Larry or um, even Renee because you know we really haven't been conditioned to you know care enough about Renee at this point you know it's only her first season um, even if it was one of those two would have been better. But Tony, who just, and I've mentioned this before, earlier in the season, in the first half of the season, kills Emerson because Emerson was trying to kill innocent lives, which is what Tony ended up trying to do at the end of the season, which makes the, which makes the real in-depth conversation that Tony and Emerson had at the beginning of the season pointless because Tony didn't have to lie to Emerson. Emerson was dying, but instead he did. He said, that's a line I'm not willing to cross. And then what was it? 12 episodes later, 12 hours later, something like that. Now all of a sudden he's willing to cross it. Even though, in that time, in the time that since he killed Emerson to the time that he killed Larry, you know, he'd already taken out Debaku. We'd already taken out Juma. Uh, Jonas Hodges was, was getting ready to be um, arrested. So <laughs> they have basically taken out every layer. All, all the people that Debaku had on his payroll had been arrested. So they had already pretty much cut half or 90% of the conspiracy down by the time he killed Larry. The only person that was left really was Alan Wilson. So that's why I thought the, the twist and the, the, the villain turn of Tony Almeida ruined the entire season for me. Without that twist, season seven would probably be my favorite season besides season five.
without that twist. If Tony and Jack had stayed the course and stayed on the same side of things, to take down Alan Wilson, season seven would have been my second favorite season. I do feel like, sorry to interrupt, that, I mean, and we'll talk about this a lot next week and in, in, in the season seven review, that the, the finality I talked about a few minutes ago, it does feel like what comes after it is almost like it's from a different season. And I'm I, I significantly less keen on the final six episodes than I remember being, having rewatched them and say, we'll talk about it next week. Um that this this marks a very big change for the sake of the season in, in, in attitude, I think. And it's a strange one because it feels like it, it feels like a very 24 twist. It feels like that sort of quintessential thing that they do, not in the sense of you're shaking your head, but in the way that, you know, it's built up. It's built up that Tony's done plenty of good and he's, he's changed. And Jack talked to the president half an hour before about his positive actions. And, you know, there's the whole speech. And here's another thing. This is, this is another reason why it didn't make sense. It's like you said earlier in the episode, they were talking about a pardon for Tony. Yeah, yeah. Tony it's the classic. But it's close. It's the classic thing that Twenty Four does with twists, and, it, and and many shows and films do it with deaths. That it's like, oh, happy ending, kill the person. Um, you know, uh, oh, they're finally out, kill the person. That you know, it, they've done it so many times, and it feels very much set up. And and. Okay, it's I, from that sense well executed, but I'm just not keen on it. I, I think for me, the thing that that I don't buy about it, and they do their best. Fair enough, they do their best to try and convince you because Tony was the a bad guy before season seven. He was on the other side of the law. He was he has this conversation that no, no, I was genuinely involved with Emerson's thing. I was on that side of it, and then he switched. And he's done some violent things throughout the day anyway. So you kind of know that he lives on that edge. The thing for me is just that when we saw him die in season five, that kind of that, I think I said at the time that that encapsulated his character for me, that through four and a half seasons, you said it, that he always does the right thing. Even if he's um, not working for the government in season four, hates whoever on his own drunk, whatever but he he'll help jack he does the right thing all the time because that he that's who he is and season one in that time where we weren't sure about his loyalties and he proved it to us by saving terry bauer and season two he's the one jack goes to for you know you're the only one i trust here to save kim and season three he's in charge of everything and and, and people listen to him and we come to this and I, I i say the the thing that sticks in my mind is his his death scene in season five and that line to Jack of saying that he couldn't do it. And the fact that you see him about to kill Henderson and you see it kind of wash over him that actually, no, this is not who I am. This is not what Michelle was want. This is not what I should do. And yet this is where we end up, that this is where we, we come to that he kills Larry Moss. He's, he's getting this bioweapon to use and potentially kill thousands of people in the episodes following this. And this is what he's, become and i don't i don't buy it as much as the show wants me to i don't buy it at all well yeah um, okay that, that that's probably that's probably closer to the truth i was being generous um I, I don't buy that this is what tony has become 
because he's had multiple chances to go down this path in previous seasons, and he hasn't. Um, like you said, he refused to kill Henderson. Um, and Jack managed to talk him out of it once before in that episode as well. Like he wasn't, you know, he he he. It was one of those things where he thinks what well, he wants to do something, and okay, if not for. I, I do I do fair enough genuinely believe that if Jack hadn't talked him out of it the first time when he takes the gun off Burke but doesn't knock him out, I genuinely believe that if Jack hadn't interjected, he would have killed Henderson. And so there is that to contend with. But there comes a point where it's up to him and it's 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 only his um conscience that's deciding it for him. And he he is the one that decides, no, I can't do this. And here he can. And I don't I don't buy it. It, it was the entire Jack-Tony relationship that really started to strengthen in season two. Um, when Tony basically taught Jack into, into coming back and, and helping with that, with that whole scenario. Season four, when Jack and Tony had this conversation and Jack told Tony that he would always be there and then the death in season five, the relationship between Jack and Tony, in many respects, even more so than the relationship between Jack and Chloe, was the foundation for 24. Like it was the one, it was the one relationship that you thought was rock solid, that should have lasted until the end. So then having Tony just turn around and and kill Larry Moss, an FBI agent, forget his pardon at this point, and then try to kill Jack, which we'll talk about next week. Just to me, it just wasn't needed. It could have made, that like those last six episodes, um, really didn't feel like 24. I mean, it felt... I mean, obviously it was 24, but it, it it really didn't feel like I was watching the same season that I just watched previously. Yeah. Because, you know, they didn't really, and then the, the explanation that Tony gave Jack was, you know, I understood it. Because in respects, he was the good guy for most of the season. He saved millions of lives. He stopped Emerson. He stopped Baku. Um, you know, it was it was mainly because of Tony and Jack, but a good bit of it was because of Tony. So to have them throw all of that away for this twist, to me, it just even you know, ten years later, it still eats at me inside. It's, it's the reason I created the Bring Back Tony Almeida fan club in the first place. <laughs> the whole reason I brought it, I, uh, I created the fan club in the first place was because of this and because of the injustice of them turning Tony Almeida into a villain. I did, this, this is what I campaigned for. And I just, I thought I loved 24. I love the writers. I love the I love the season. 
David Fury, Manny Cotto, Howard Gordon, John Kassar, the whole group, the whole gang. Love them. I'll probably tag all of them when I get this podcast up. <laughs> Love all of them. <laughs> but this particular twist, you know, before this twist, I'd always rate Nina Myers up there as the most out of the blue, unnecessary twist in 24 history. Because it literally, from one episode to the next, came out of nowhere. No hints, no nothing, just one episode she's risking her life for Jack, the next episode she's trying to get him killed. So she held the record for six seasons. <laughs> but season seven will go on. I've, I've watched a lot of TV shows, a lot of TV shows. Of all the TV shows that I've ever watched, this is probably the most unnecessary villain twist of any episode of any season that I've ever watched in my 34 years on this earth. Wow. That is... That is strong words from Joel Wood on Tony's twist. I should say, actually, that um, the six episodes that we're going to talk about next week, they paused production after Tony's twist here and had a three-week break for, quote, retooling. So that'll be interesting. Um, but we'll come on to those six episodes. Well, they didn't week. retool properly. <laughs> they should have well, re- retooled before episode 18. Well, potentially, yeah. We, you're getting ahead of yourself, though. Um, we'll be back to talk about those next week. Um, in the meantime, if you have some thoughts on Tony's twist or anything else we've talked about in this episode, strong as Joel's feelings or not, um, please do feel free to send them to us. We'd love to hear them. We'd love to read them out in the podcast. Uh, you can find us at the 24 podcast on Twitter. You can go to 24faithful.com or you can leave a voicemail at 405 um do get in touch with us and we will be back next week for the final six episodes of season seven